Hello, Texas, America, and the world. This is Mark Dantoff coming to you live on the Republic Broadcasting Network on this Friday, January 19th, which just happens to be the birthday of Robert E. Lee, General Robert E. Lee. And uh, hence, in just a couple of minutes, we will have an obvious guest on this show uh, commemorating not simply Lee's birthday, but talking about, among many other things, Jewish wars and the history of Jewish wars and what we are being led into now in terms of the events uh, since the 7th of October in Gaza, certainly the Russian-Ukrainian conflict, certainly what now is heating up in terms of this situation with the Houthis and the Red Sea, not to mention the ongoing Zionist vision of getting a war ignited with Iran. Shortly, we will have Dr. David Duke with us. If you have not uh, had the opportunity to ever encounter Dr. David Duke, encounter him for yourself. You can uh, go to YouTube and presumably still see uh, his incredible debate with Wolf Blitzer a number of years ago uh, when Dr. Duke was in Iran conversing with uh, Mahmoud Ahmadinejad of Iran, among many other people, and uh, talking about this whole subject of Zionism and Zionist wars in the Middle East and elsewhere. You can also encounter Dr. Duke on Rents.com in terms of his own radio show. And then, of course, that infamous debate that he had with Alex Jones a few years ago. Dealing with this whole question of Zionism is a classic that is uh, largely still available if you search for it in electronic media. My particular news summary is going to be a little short today so that we can give David the maximum amount of time that he needs. And this is just the first show of a series that I think we need to do with him uh, on this whole subject up to and including, of course, the events in Gaza since the 7th of October. Well, folks, if you've been following the Russian-Ukrainian war, uh, my particular sources on that war are still with me. I'm still following them. I am putting together uh, this weekend all of the articles that I have saved for you and that I have read for you that will be available probably no later than 48 hours from the time of this live broadcast for you to peruse at your leisure. In terms of the Russian-Ukrainian war, of course, a thousand dead a day now in terms of the Ukrainian side of that conflict. Certainly this whole business of the uh, of the Russian-Ukrainian conflict uh, is, is something that was predictable. You have a war of attrition, the much larger country, the much larger country in terms of having all of the commodities it needs and the production capability that it needs to fight an industrial war that's all on the side of Russia. What it exposes is not simply the fact that uh, the uh, Zelensky has none of these things at his disposal. But what it reveals as well is that NATO and the United States are particularly exposed in terms of not having the forces available to the United States and to Western Europe in all kinds of different ways uh, that were available to the United States in particular uh, during the Second World War. So we get into this whole business of Argentina the whole business of Ecuador, American politics, 2024, culture, books, some of my latest articles for VT Foreign Policy. Those will all be up uh, in the URL for this show uh, on VContacta that I will be submitting to our studio here at RBN uh, shortly after this broadcast has concluded. Uh, David Duke, are you out there, sir? Yes, I am. And it's great to be with you, Dan. Thank you for your Fantastic work for all of humanity, uh, for the European people, and as well, the the whole of humanity, because uh, we're under siege today. It's not it's not just the Ukrainians that are being massacred. 
uh, and they are being massacred because of the policies of the American Jewish-controlled government of this country, our State Department, and uh, Jewish Mr. Blinken and Jewish Miss Newman, uh, excuse me, Victoria Newland, and uh, and her husband Kagan, one of the most bloodthirsty Jewish Zionists you ever saw. All these wars that we're dealing with right now and the destruction of Europe that we're dealing with right now and the destruction of the Palestinian people are all related. And uh, what I'm trying to do, I, as you know, I got a PhD from Ukraine. So I know a lot about Ukraine. We can talk about any part of that that you'd like t- today. I studied there. I got my PhD there. And by the way, it really is a real university. It's not a diploma mill that they write in uh, <laughs> in uh, the Jewish control Wikipedia uh, Jimmy Wales is actually a self-identified Jew, and he won a, a prize of a million dollars at Tel Aviv University. Uh, the influence, so they control the, the the one encyclopedia, the encyclopedia, the one encyclopedia ruled over the, the world because just about everybody I know that does any research on anybody look up, looks up a politician, a person, uh, a rock star, an actor. Uh, some historical figure. They use Wikipedia. And what they're getting is a Jewish narrative of the world, the same way that if you circle or you sort of search any uh, important person in in the world and you want to read about it or an idea, like whether you think immigration is a good idea or bad and you want to read about the different arguments that exist for that, you use Google search. And Google search is controlled by two Jews that purposely search to send you who those two Jews and their minions who, who they control and they're very Zionist, uh, who they send you to. This is the greatest threat to freedom and, uh, and a truly independent and free mind uh, that the world's ever seen. There's never been a power like this in the world to influence opinion, to influence attitudes. And, of course, they don't really have to go in a cognitive way. Uh, they go in an emotional way. The way they present the Second World War is, for instance, a very emotional diatribe about how the Germans were evil and and they had you know we had to be stopped because uh, and as and which is proven by the quote unquote Holocaust. But interestingly enough, the war was started and there wasn't any allegation of any mass murder of Jews. In fact, at the same time that the war began, we had a um, we had a problem with the Soviet Union, which was a whole nation that was taken over by Jews. And the entirety of the revolutionary forces that took over Russia in terms of the top people, the most powerful people. So the, the two most powerful people in the Russian Revolution were Leon Trotsky, who was head of the Red Army, pretty powerful position, who also murdered the Tsar and his family and helped murder millions of other what they call white Russians. And, and of course, the, the patron saint of it was uh, Lenin. And Lenin, even though major Jewish publications now all admit that Lenin was Jewish, that he was come from a Jewish family. I stood right next to Solzhenitsyn, and I had a great opportunity to know him. Just as I've studied in Ukraine, I know all about the Holodomor, one of the a great Holocaust that was bigger according to most of the world's leading historians who studied the Holodomor, bigger than the Holocaust of Jews. And yet the Holodomor gets 18 references in the New York Times 
But the Holocaust gets 90,000 references in the New York Times, even though more Christians and, and more women and children, and that's talk about, you know, lives or, or potential lives that would have been lived without killing these, these young women, mothers. back I'm here yeah go ahead do you want me to keep talking uh, while we uh, regain Dr. Duke and undoubtedly we have some people uh, tampering with this particular broadcast uh, the more important the person I discover uh, the more uh, certain outsiders are interested in uh, interrupting what we're doing I'll bring Dr. Duke back certainly I think he's back on the line I uh, wanted to mention and we'll mention at the end of the broadcast that uh, Mark Weber of the Institute for Historical Review uh, is offering a brand new book out on this whole business of Hitler and the war I'll say more about that uh, toward the end of the uh, end of the broadcast. David, you back? Okay. So uh, I will just keep talking until we get David Duke back on the line, and uh, certainly we start getting into this whole business. You there? Yeah, we lost connection. Yes. Where did I go? Where ahead, was sir. I when we lost? Well, uh, you were starting to get into this whole. Uh, you you mentioned the whole of the war, of course. Yeah. And the difference between the exposure that that doesn't get in the New York Times, right, right. Uh, along with the conventional uh, orthodoxy about the uh, Holocaust, the so-called right. Holocaust, uh, that the New York Times uh, covers uh, par excellence in terms of the volume of uh, volume of stuff yeah. that it uh, that it produces. Let me simply say this, David, and I'll get you back in the flow of your conversation for the audience. Sure. I'm looking at E. Michael Jones' latest Culture Wars. And uh, this one is January 2024, and in mm -hmm. James G. Bruin Jr.'s Bullets in the back of it, uh, which is a great part of this magazine, the very first bullet says, Henry Kissinger has learned the meaning of Holocaust. Maybe, <laughs> maybe that quote or that bullet uh, plays right into the uh, not only the current narrative, but the historical narrative that I think you're trying to introduce our audience to with some of your more recent research you've been at this in uh, in recent months i understand well beyond all of the incredible research that you have done uh, up to more recent times uh share, well, share anything you research like with done us. from from years ago too but i've yeah but i've added a lot to it you know and uh I, you know i've added a lot of understanding to the famous churchill article communism versus bolshevism a struggle for the soul of the jewish people which actually was a great article in the sense, and probably both of us have used it over the years, to try to illustrate the fact that communism was a movement, was actually a well-known movement among Jews as a Jewish movement for the Jews to take over the world through communism. Now, when I say this, that sounds pretty fantastic to a lot of people listening to what I'm saying at this moment a lot of your listeners who aren't acquainted with the data and the facts. Well, the most famous historian of none other than Winston Churchill, probably 
and he's made out to be the greatest hero of Western civilization, practically. He saved the world from the Nazis, as Douglas Murray said in the program the other day. Yeah, he, he, he truly saved this from the Nazis. But who did he give it to? Who did he give this world to? But anyway, um, the interesting thing is that this famous article we use, because in, in this article, Ch- Churchill says stuff such as, you know, and, you know that the Jews have gripped the Russian people by the hair of their heads and have become practically the undisputed masters of this enormous empire. And it goes on to talk about how Jewish communists can be, you know, were the anchors of the, the Red Terror, which killed millions and millions of people. And, and the interesting thing was, if you read Martin Gilbert, not only was he the chief biographer of Churchill, he was the man that was, we have so much stuff we can go into, it's hard to even go into subjects in any detail, but we need to do that to give people kind of a grip of how we've been lied to. So um, Martin Gilbert was a Zionist Jew, very Zionist Jew, who wrote a book on the history of Zionism as well as Churchill. We wrote a few volumes. He was commissioned by the government of Britain to write a history and a biography of Winston Churchill. And that's the most famous biography of Churchill that's written. He also wrote a book specifically called Churchill and the Jews. And if you read this book, the facts in this book are just absolutely amazing because he shows how that Churchill was actually became an asset of the Zionist Jews, an asset literally of, believe it or not, the most famous Jewish banking family in the world, the richest just about, was the Rothschilds. Baron von Rothschild. And the story goes, and he talks about this in, the, in, in his book, and this is again written by the chief biographer of Churchill, so I'm not making anything up. I can give you exact quotes. And he talks about how Churchill's family had money problems. They had a great estate and land, but they didn't have any operating capital. And the Jews understood this, but they understood that Churchill was up and coming. He was automatic because of his peerage. Uh, automatic holder of the House of Lords seat, which is influential. You know, just just a very small number of people have, it's like the American Senate of 100 people. It really has a huge influence in, in the British government, House of Lords. And uh, Churchill was an automatic seat in that. Uh, his family had a long history of, you know, her, her, heroism in wars. He also was fought in the Boer War, a very vicious war, and we'll talk about that later as one of the first horrific evil wars of the 20th century, which most people admit these days, that was the beginning of what's called concentration camps, where tens of thousands of, of Boer, and these were, of course, the Dutch people who controlled what was South Africa then, who the, the British and the Jews, who were interested in gold and silver and the mines and the diamonds, uh, they wanted to control South Africa the same way the Jews had a special relationship with the Queen of England in the Opium Wars, where this is a war before the 20th century, the Opium War. But it was a war with China fought to protect the business interests of the Sassoons, which was, and it was called the Opium Wars. It was a war where these Jews could addict millions and millions of Chinese, make slaves out of them. With a perfect business model, right? You get addicted to a drug you've got to have, and that's that's a perfect business model for making a lot of money and getting a lot of money from people and, and robbing people blind and destroying lives. And we had a whole war fought by Britain for the opium trade 
which is run by the Sassoons, and another Jewish family, by the way, another part of China. And it was all Jewish war. It was this horrible exploitation of the Chinese people. And the, the Boer War was the same thing a few years later, both the First and the Second Boer War. And many British people wrote about that. Well, Churchill was in that. And, uh, and then the book Churchill and the Jews shows that the Rothschilds saw they needed a man to stand up and represent the issues of Zionism and Jews in Great Britain because they had some plans. The Jews were planning to have a Jewish state in the Middle East, and they were looking for any means to do it. And when the Second World War started, they knew that the Turks, which were part of the Axis, and so the whole Ottoman Empire, which was the remnants of the empire for many centuries, existed and controlled Palestine, the Holy Land, it controlled Egypt, it controlled Syria, Lebanon, all those areas. And they knew that if Britain and the Allies uh, won the war, succeeded in winning the war, they know that the British already decided with the French over certain uh, divisions of power that the British would have control over Palestine. With the British control over Palestine, then the Jews could influence and get the British to make a deal with them during the Second World War that would entitle them to go come into Europe the same way the Jews have orchestrated the open border campaign in every European nation of setting in refugees and, and non-European immigrants and to America as well as Canada and every uh, country of the world where they've been promote, promote, promoting these things. So uh, it's really interesting that, uh, you know, this Gilbert is kind of bragging about how that Churchill was made an asset, asset of the Rothschilds uh, to do their bidding, and he got money from them. He was getting a big, giant wedding present. He was, all these uh, things he was done. And the article that both of us have used very effectively to show the Jewish role in communism it actually had a different purpose for Churchill and the Jews. Because at that time, that, at that moment, this, was, uh, this article was February of 1920. And this article was done. And um, at that point, the whole world in their daily papers were learning. And the British intelligence networks were learning. And the American intelligence networks were learning. Same thing. That communism was a Jewish movement. And that the communists were really led by Jews, and communism was really a Jewish orchestrated movement to take over Russia and actually take over the world. They had a common term. Russia just happened to be the ripe fruit that they wanted. And that happened in many ways because of the fact that Jews knew that there was an alliance between Germany, which is very militaristic and very powerful economic power, against, you know, against Russia. And they knew that Germany had a good chance to, to beat Russia in that war. And if they defeated Russia in the war, that would make Russia ripe for the Jewish takeover of Russia with communism, which is exactly what happened. But the idea happened that when it became clear that the Germans won against Russia, they got a peace treaty, which freed up half of the Russian, the German army to come back to the West. So the German army is going to be vastly improved. At that point, Britain needed more bodies because they had great death toll. Them and the French had great death toll in the war, while the, the Germans are going to be reinforced by half their army, which is coming from the east against Russia. So they were desperate to get America into the war. So 
They knew Jewish power in America. They knew the Jewish control of Wall Street, the Lehman Brothers, the Goldman Sachs, and the Conalope Company, and Jacob Schiff's role in that, who was a Jewish capitalist, you know, banker, yet he was the chief financier of of the communist revolution. He was also a big Zionist. And they knew that these Jews... And we have so many of them we, we, could, we, could, we could talk about. The biggest financier of all was, was Jewish. I mean, many others. And, of course, Jacob Schiff. And so they knew that, that Jews had ends with the President of the United States. They controlled him, actually, because he was in a blackmail. He was in a case by a woman whose son was uh, facing prison. And they agreed to help her get her son out of trouble and give the money up that he was accused of stealing from the bank he worked at uh, by giving money to the woman to pay this so the son didn't go to jail. And also to rescue Wilson from charges of adultery and, and a tremendous scandal where he was in love with another professor's wife when he was at Princeton. And they were able to control him by saving his, uh, you know, <laughs> saving his, his eggs, right, uh, in, in the middle of this conflict. So they knew they could get America into the war with the help of the president. And they did that. So British made a deal with the Rothschilds. It's talked about publicly all the time now. I mean, they make video documentaries about it. They knew the Rothschilds about the deal. Even, even, uh, even the prime minister of Great Britain. Uh, which was also wrote about in his own memoirs, David Lord George. So, so anyway, that's how we got involved in the First World War. Uh, America did, and this, and that's why one of the forces that were aligning themselves, Jewish money, Jewish publications like the New York Times, aligning to promote uh, the First World War, which killed about thirty-five to thirty-eight million, and uh, and then it, it laid the preconceptions and the conditions for the Second World War. Now, at the end of the war, it served the Jewish interests, and they had lots of influence in America, and America uh, was definitely under their control at that time. Wilson was called the first Jewish president by Jewish organizations. I can show you that in Jewish publications, Woodrow Wilson. And um, the First World War, uh, it was said to be make the world safe for democracy, and it was talking talking about human rights, and we have to have a new League of Nations. But the first thing they did is they wanted to economically – punish Germany, even though it wasn't a national socialist country. It was actually a democracy, just like the West. It wasn't a war for democracy. It was simply a war for Jewish objectives and a war for some of the jingoist objectives because British thought they were helping themselves and French were helping themselves in their own national uh, interests. But they weren't, of course. They destroyed so many of their young people and destroyed their economies by this war. Well, anyway, so after the war... They wanted to make reparations for Germany, destroy their industry and everything. Now, why did, why did they want to do this to Germany? They didn't want Germany to recover economically. Well, I'll tell you why. Because as Winston Churchill wrote about in his own article, that the Jews were uh, controlling communism and they were trying to make a worldwide communist revolution. He talked about Rosa Luxemburg in Germany. He talked about Balakun in Hungary. He talked about you know uh, all these different Jews all over the world who were promoting they even brought communism to china because they saw china and in and in martin gilbert's book churchill and the jews he quotes winston churchill's article and he doesn't refute it he said winston churchill saw 
and believed, and as, as he wrote in his article, that Leon Trotsky, real name Lev Bronstein, was doing this communist revolution to secure control of the world for the Jewish communists, for Jews, right, through the institution of communism. <laughs> Wild, isn't it? So even when Churchill wrote that article, he knew the Jewish role in communism. He had to know that Jewish Zionists and bankers globally were supporting the rise of communism. And he had to know these things. But what he was trying to do in the article, if you read it carefully, he was trying to say, well, the communists are really bad. I think they're the biggest threat to the world. But Jewish Zionists are good, even though Jewish Zionists like Jacob Schiff was the biggest single contributor to the Bolshevik Revolution. And as, as the Jewish Encyclopedia says, which is the leading encyclopedia of the world, led by every Jewish, both secular and religious organizations, organized groups of Jews all over the world, they said practically every synagogue in the world supported the Bolsheviks. So that's the origins of this article where Churchill was trying to tell people, oh, yeah, the communists are bad, and those Jewish communists are the worst, man, they're just mass murderers. But we got to help the Zionists because the Zionists aren't like this. They're the people of the book. Even the Zionist Jews and Judaism is the most anti-Christian religion, and hate, there's more hatred about Jesus Christ in Jewish doctrine and Jewish scripture and the Jewish Talmud than anything that could be imagined by anybody. There, there's no satanic book saying we should worship the devil that's even more hateful about Jesus Christ than the Talmud, which, which basically says that Jesus Christ, you know, is a devil and that Jesus Christ has been risen from the dead by Jews so they could torture him for eternity and boiling him in human excrement. You can't make these things up. And nobody, if in, in the New Testament, and Jews being a... Uh, from a reverend, you know, obviously, Northern Church, you know this as well as I do, that the entire New Testament is about the Jewish persecution of Christians. And nobody in the whole world, including Jewish communists that killed millions of Christians, has persecuted Christians more than Jews. When you start connecting the dots, all this clears in. So now we've talked about the Boer War a little bit. We've, we've talked about the Russo-Japanese War, which also, uh, you know, Jacob Schiff, this, this capitalist, right, Jew, uh, also supported Zionism. He wrote that we've got to get the Japanese to defeat the Russians, and we got to keep Russia out of the money markets, right? So he's a Zionist. He helps Russia lose that war. And then we get into the First World War, which they had all their own objectives in. And then we had the Second World War. So where do we go for the Second World War? Well, I'll give you an example. Here's a – are we still there? Are we still connected? I keep going. I can yes. interrupt me any time. Oh, that's you great. Feel like. Okay. So this is from the Daily Express, one of the biggest dailies in Great Britain. This is uh, March, uh, I believe, it's hard to read the small print, but I think it's, it's March 24, or is it March 21, excuse me. Uh, and this is 1933. And uh, the headline reads, this is the headline on the first page. Judea declares war on Germany. Jews of all the world unite in action. Now, this is early in March, a couple of months after Hitler won the election, basically, and came to the chancellorship. And uh, so the war reads, Judea declares war on Germany. Jews of all the world unite in action. And they, pretty, they must think Jews are pretty powerful because they really go out of their ways to show it. Boycott of German goods. 
mass demonstrations in many districts. Dramatic we will action. be back with Dr. David Duke on the Republic Broadcasting Network and the Dan Koff Report from San Antonio. Stay tuned. Okay. July, you're a woman more than anyone I've ever known. You are tuned in to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Visit our website by going to republicbroadcasting.org. My name is John, I'm the founder of Blackout Coffee, and I started uh, Blackout because I really love coffee. I've always loved coffee, and after traveling so much to Europe, South America, and trying so many different coffees that were so good, and uh, every time I came back uh, to the U.S., I was so disappointed with the coffee, so I figured that I had to do something about it. The biggest difference is really is on the beans and the roasting process, how we roast it and how fresh it is. The fresher the roast, the better the quality. Here I have like all, all of the coffee. It's roasted within one to two days prior to being shipped. So it literally gets to consumer's house within three to five days after being roasted. If you like coffee, you have to try ours. It's fresh roasted. It's one of the best beans that we can get. And you will definitely see the difference. Visit blackoutcoffee.com and use the coupon code REPUB10. That's REPUB10. People often write to tell us what has happened for them since starting Extendivite. Allow me to read a few highlights. Extendivite works in keeping my blood pressure in the normal range. I have been using Extendivite for many years. Great product. I use regularly and I rarely get sick. This product has relieved what appeared to be angina pain in my chest and shortness of breath after climbing stairs. I'm quite happy about it. My husband, son, and I have been using this product for a few months now, and we have noticed an improvement in our joints and blood pressure. To order, call 1-877-928-8822 or visit extendivite.com. That's X-T-E-N-D-O-V-I-T-E dot com. Extend your life with Extendovite. Find your inner rebel at Dixie Republic, the world's largest Confederate store, located in Traveler's Rest, South Carolina. The anti-white, anti-Christ, anti-Southern world ends at the asphalt. Welcome to God's country. Log on to DixieRepublic.com to view our Southern merchandise from flags to T-shirts to artwork. At the store, browse through our extensive collection of belt buckles and have a custom-made leather belt handcrafted in our Johnny Rebs gun and leather shop. That's DixieRepublic.com where you can meet all of your Southern needs. Support those that support the network. Support Dixie Republic at DixieRepublic.com. Email ProudSouthern123 at gmail.com and let them know that RBN sent you. I can't hold it on the road when you're sitting right beside me and I'm drunk out of my mind 
Merely from the fact that you are here And I have not been known as the saint of San Joaquin We are back, you're listening to the Dan Coff Report live from San Antonio, Texas on the Republic Broadcasting Network Our very special guest today is Dr. David Duke on this January 19th, uh, which is the birthday of the great Confederate General Robert E. Lee. I may say something about that yes, later. Happy I birthday will... to Robert E. Lee. Yeah. And by the way, and... people should know this. The South wasn't unanimously for slavery, uh, but we shouldn't have had a war, and it was going to end anyway. We cost a million lives. Every nation in the Western Hemisphere uh, you know, got rid of slavery and ended slavery. Uh, legally and without having a war of a fratricidal, terrible war, which should never have been fought. Exactly. It was fought and I, as a political power. And, yes. and, and it wasn't the South trying to control the North. The only reason it was a civil war is because the South simply wanted to have independence, the same principle America was founded upon, wanted to go its own way, and not simply because of slavery, because they felt they were being dictated to, just like the British were dictating to Americans before the American Revolution. And that's really what, what, what caused it. But they weren't trying to take over the American government and force their way of life or their southern principles on the north. They just said that we all have a right to determine our own government. And Robbie Lee stood up, you know, with his people, fought honorably, even though he, he did oppose the institution of slavery. And I'm sure he would have done a lot to end the institution. I'm sure it would have ended. We all know it would have ended. Uh, probably not that even long after the war, if if that if, if things were allowed to go their way, but certain business interests in the North and certain other interests wanted to uh, force the South in it because they got a lot of their income from the South. That's a whole other story. But uh, that's yes, just and I will st- be posting with the uh, with this show description on Beacon Tocta, uh, which obviously will uh, highlight Doctor Duke. Uh, in terms of uh, various articles and book reviews that I will recommend to my listeners, one of them will be, of course, uh, Thomas D. Lorenzo's The Real Lincoln, which gets into the precise, precisely factual character of what Dr. Duke has just told us. Let me say two other things very quickly, and then I have a question for David uh, yeah. in regard to current contextualization of uh, what he has been uh, conveying to all of us historically. And I want to emphasize, folks, that because of the detail uh, into which a good historian goes into in examining any subject, uh, it's always important when you're listening to a talk, a good talk radio show like this one with a good guest to subsequently avail yourself of the reading materials of that guest uh, and different things that that guest would recommend to us in terms of articles and so forth. Because this is where one can really begin to delve into uh, these subjects on a, on a more uh, on books a very are deep important. basis. Books, books are, are important. Are important. Books are and, important. Uh, talk radio is certainly a great medium, especially for me with my broadcasting background. But reading and studying, there, there is absolutely no substitute for it. I want to mention two things in particular. Then I have a question for Dr. Duke in regard to yeah. contextualizing uh, what it is that he's uh, he's been trying to explain to us today historically. Uh, one, Mark Weber at the Institute for Historical Review uh, at IHR.com, uh, or I'm sorry, .org, IHR.org, uh, has a uh, book that has now been issued and uh, reissued again, and it's entitled The Force War, When Peaceful Revision Failed. It's hardcover. Written by David L. Hogan, 
That's with two G's, H-O-G-G-A-N. And mm-hmm. uh, Harry Elmer Barnes, the eminent American historian, which who will be familiar to many of our listeners, called this the first thorough study of the responsibility for the causes of the Second World War uh, in any language. It's likely to remain the definitive revisionist work on this subject for many years, unquote. This is based on the author's Harvard University doctoral dissertation. This is Diplomatic History of the First Order. So that the, the listing of that book will be in the show description uh, on Vicon Talk of Dr. Duke's appearance on this show today, which, by the way, is, is not the last time he's going to be back here uh, to further develop these themes and the yeah. historical research on all of these different topics. As long as they, people are finding it interesting, I think they are. Yes. And uh, the other thing I wanted to get into just briefly in terms of the importance of reading, Culture Wars, January 2024, uh, has an article by Luis Alvarez Primo. Uh, He is the individual, uh, or so I am told from this article, who translates Dr. E. Michael Jones' articles into Spanish. And uh, the article that he has written for us is about the so-called new libertarian Zionist president of Argentina, Javier Millay, or Millay, I will leave it to a Spanish-speaking person uh, to correct my pronunciation on this, but suffice it to say that when you read through this article, it puts the election of this individual as the new president of Argentina into complete perspective. It lists a red circle of three or four individuals who have been behind this guy's candidacy and all of his activities in Argentina. One of them is Eduardo Elstein, the millionaire Jewish leader of the Shabbat Lubavitch in Argentina. Oh, God. And this goes into uh, all of the uh, control of Argentinian uh, news media by Jewish interests, as is the case in the United States. And, of course, this article goes on to say uh, that uh, this new president of Argentina was initiated into the Americas Society, founded by David Rockefeller in New York. And last but not least, on his recent trip to the United States, he was on a private jet paid for by uh, Gerardo Werthein. A that's a real business. revolution, isn't it? That yeah, like, that's a revolution. It, it reminds me of the Who uh, song, you know, meet the new boss, same as the old boss, because that's who's been ruling Argentina for years and bankrupting the country through international finance right out of New York. They got the same thing in the name of revolution, right? Crazy. Exactly. And so you find in the mainstream, uh, so-called mainstream uh, conservative media in the United States, mainstream libertarian media in the United States, a lionization of this guy. This article presents a completely different story. In his recent trip here to the States, uh, Wertheim uh, had a private jet set up for the, for the new president of Argentina. Uh, Wertheim is a Jewish businessman and the man who wants to be uh, Malai's Argentine ambassador to the USA. Uh, where Malai will visit the tomb of Rabbi Menachem Mendel Schneerson, the Lubavitch Rebbe, right? Well, he can be joined by, 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 uh, by Trump's daughter and his son-in-law, Jared yeah. Kirshner. And, uh, and then I guess uh, on this particular trip, uh, Javier met with Bill Clinton at the Plaza Hotel. I won't read any more of this, but this uh, certainly contextualizes what it is that Dr. Duke is giving us a much broader historical perspective on and all of the different arrows in the quiver of this zionist entity now david let me ask you one question sure uh with all of what you have shared with me uh Mm -hmm. and with the audience in regard to your more recent research uh which is so encyclopedic uh, encyclopedic 
that uh, we're going to have to do multiple shows, and still we will only scratch the surface of this. But let's look now at the Russian-Ukrainian well, we're war. We're going to do one thing. If we scratch the surface, it's not going to take us very long to uncover some huge tumors in our body politic. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah exactly. Cancers in our body politic. And, yeah. in, and, and in terms of the Russian-Ukrainian war, this gets into people that, of course, you've already mentioned, Victoria Nuland and Robert Kagan among them. Mm-hmm. This gets into the fact that currently in Ukraine, the so-called president of Ukraine, uh, who is at least the second president of that What's country. What's his name? Julinsky, I think it is. Huh? Zelen- G- oh, Julinsky, that's right. Here we have, folks, a Jewish drag queen comedian. That's who this guy is, by the way. This is factual. Uh, who becomes the president, quote-unquote, of an orthodox Christian country. Uh, This guy, Zelensky, has been absolutely oppressing the canonical Ukrainian Orthodox Church. And, of course, uh, my uh, my good friend in spring, uh, Texas, Father John Whiteford of the Russian Orthodox Church outside Russia, has been on the show explaining some of that background to us. Uh, But then, of course, you have this incredible Zionist, global Zionist entity that seems to have a particular hatred of Vladimir Putin. David, is this not simply a question of wanting to incorporate Russia into a world government and to steal all that country's national uh, resources? But does this Russian Orthodox character of post-communist post-Bolshevik Russia, has this, is, doesn't this kind of add the salsa uh, to the virulence with which it would appear that these Jewish and Zionist interests want to destroy that country and to get Vladimir Putin in particular? What's your reading of this? You you did your studying in the Ukraine. Uh, yeah, you're going to know more Ukraine, about this than I. Ukraine, and it's a real tragic situation to have uh, our people killing one another. Russia was given no choice, though. I mean, you, you can't expect Russia to allow NATO to come on their border to put nuclear-tipped missiles. They were four or five minutes away. People don't even realize Ukraine cuts deep in, into, the, you know, in, into the eastern part of, uh, of the most important population centers of Russia. Uh, eastern Ukraine is direct south of Moscow, and it's a short uh, stone's throw to send a missile within three or four minutes of nuclear weapons into the into Moscow and to a lot of their defense systems. And we wouldn't we couldn't afford that even with Cuba, which was a thousand miles from our you know from our capital. Uh, and they were they just couldn't allow to do this and they didn't want this war and they've tried to spare as many of the soldiers of the enemy and the civilians of the enemy. And what shows you is that Israel's killed now 25, 30,000 civilians, probably a lot more. We don't even know how many is dead under the rubble. How many yeah, that's these- about what I've been reading, including uh, uh, well yeah. over 60,000 wounded. And, oh, uh, yeah. and last Named but not least, 70% and- I understand of those oh, who have hard. perished are women and children. Right, exactly. Yeah. Well, 70%. I think something like really, that. Yeah. Yeah. And and obviously they're not fighters. And by the way, just contrast it with October 7, which they never stopped talking about. So twelve hundred Israelis died. Like I said earlier, you know, according to Haaretz, they have the pictures and names of all the people who died. About half of them were military or really were part of the establishment, even while these kibbutzes were part of the defense establishment. And they specifically attacked these kibbutzes. And they, and they didn't do it like Jews do 
pushing these weapons of mass destruction and missiles without any danger to themselves, you know, raining them down on the Palestinian people. They did it knowing that they went into Israel into these bases against these tanks and high equipment with only fire of sidearms. And they literally took out a lot of tanks. They took over some bases, captured some high-ranking Israelis. It was amazing to think about uh, what they accomplished. But their death of children, according to the Israeli government, was 29 children out of 1,200 dead. We've killed 10,000. And I say we because America has also aided that, even though we're controlled by these same Jews that control Israel. But there's been 10,000, at least 10,000 Palestinians killed, probably a lot more, and maimed for life and crippled and amputations and not even any anesthetic uh, when they have to remove some of their arms and legs and all the rest of it. It's a horror. It's a horror. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the late Madeleine Albright when uh – uh, you know, uh, interviewed uh, on, I believe it was 60 Minutes, talking about the uh, uh, United States uh, uh, invasion of Iraq uh, and talking about these uh, sanctions uh, on Iraq that were perpetrated by the United States. Uh, the, the questioner uh, asked about the some 500,000, half a million folks, 500,000 Iraqi children who died of all kinds of causes as a result of those sanctions. And uh, Madeleine Zionist Albright made the statement, well, it was worth it. Uh, and, of course, that war wasn't worth anything in terms of American involvement, but that's, in my opinion, there, and that's another time another time for that. But uh, according to Madeleine Albright, who is the Secretary of State of this country, folks, and another Zionist Jew, the perishing of these half a million uh, uh, Iraqi children, uh, courtesy of this United States uh, economic uh, sanction regimen uh, on that country. That was okay. That was worth it. I think it's fair to say that what she was trying to convey was that she would certainly be a party to doing that all over again. And this is the kind of rhetoric uh, that I hear coming out of significant uh, people uh, in the in the Israeli governmental hierarchy, uh, statements that uh, that these folks get away with routinely, uh, that any other group of people, any other nationalistic group, any other racial group, uh, uh, any other uh, uh, entity uh, would be uh, 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 flaw publicly flogged for making statements like this, and yet this uh, passes through the uh, American news media. Uh, without anyone blinking an eye. So I think that that contextualizes in a contemporary sense what it is that Dr. Duke has been explaining to us that has been going on for a much longer period of time uh, in terms of establishment explanations in regard to our banking system, in regard to the Federal Reserve Board, uh, how it is that the United States got into World War One and World War Two, and at the behest of whom, uh, and things about the that surround the creation of the Jewish state itself, that uh, Dr. Duke, uh, among many other places, gets into this in his book, Jewish Supremacism. So if you've not read that book, I'll recommend that one to you. But David, back to you. Uh, yeah, I'll just want to finish up the narrative real quick on the war. Oh, sure, sure. Second World War, but it's important to understand this, folks, because that's pretend as the Great War. And that, that model has been since, you know, the rest of the 20th century. And it's endless war. And endless killing of uh, civilians. And in that war, that was the first mass killing of civilians 
that was literally justified, openly justified, by uh, one side in this force, and that was definitely the United States and Great Britain, who had Bomber Harris, for instance, talked about the fact that they were trying to kill the German civilians massively. The Germans didn't have this policy, by the way, but the, but the Allies did, and they were the first ones to bomb civilian things, and that's what caused the fact that there were civilian bombings on both sides, but primarily by the British. And they had they actually had Jewish heads of uh, of uh, top positions in Israel compare not the the killing and, and the the murdering the burning to death of Nazi mothers our German mothers and their children call them all they're all Nazis right yeah and that's burning, right <laughs> burning them alive right uh, to the same reason they should be able to burn Palestinians alive and. Uh, crush them and murder them because they're just nazis they're just like the nazis and but but the truth is it's never just to kill children in in mass or burn them much less burn them alive in the beautiful old cities of germany and uh men women and, and children i mean women with their ki- their kids their babies in their cribs being burned alive by massive firebombing in Germany, they created these so-called firestones, and a good is a good example. They use Dresden sometimes to justify what they're doing to Palestinians, but it just shows you how the whole narrative is wrong. Again, I was saying earlier, and I, if I can get this one point over to every listener out there, every person that has some sort of justice and human compassion and empathy in their heart, that's listening to this program. If I can just get this over to you, okay. You've heard your whole life the narrative that the Second World War was a good war, that we should have fought this war. Just remember how this war started. Who made it a world war? Yes, America's invaded 30 countries since the Second World War. Nobody went to war in a global war against us for these invasions, which were totally unjustified and were based on lies like the Iraq War, right? Or what we're doing in Ukraine. We were the ones who were expanding to the east. It wasn't Russians expanding toward the borders of Germany or Austria or something. And Austria has always been respected, and that's a neutral country. All Russia wanted was neutrality. But the thing is, you got to remember, folks, as this war was started, a few thousand casualties. And it was all about the fact that for 25 years after the First World War, Germans, who were German descent, who lived there, who spoke German, were Germans. And in what was part of Germany in 1914 were taken from Germany. And these people were forced to become basically like like Palestinians living in Israel, an oppressed uh, people in part of what was Poland. And that's what brought on the war. And Hitler was willing to make peace. He wanted to make peace. He didn't, didn't want war. He tried everything he could. But the Jews wanted the war to go on because they didn't care if it was a world war. But how could people not know if this is a world war that millions and millions of people would die? So was it worth the fact that, that Germans had self-determination in their own land, which they had before the, second, the First World War? Was that worth, you know, 60 million people dying or 70 million people, whatever the number is? Men, women and children, innocent children by the millions and millions and millions. Anybody who thinks about this calmly, thinks about this cogently and intelligently and with a bit of humanity in your heart, a bit of you know, Christian love and kindness, knows that that war wasn't worth it. And Germany was willing to go back to 1914 borders. It's all they wanted. And there wouldn't have been 70 million 
the the people who Jews were influencing. Why did this go war to fight till the last person in Europe if they have to? And they created a war. They called tens of millions of Russians, tens of millions of Eastern Europeans, tens of millions of people in Central Europe. Uh, unbelievable that that uh, dislocated at at least 11 million Germans, killed millions and millions of Germans in the middle of winter who committed no crimes that were in, in Königsgrad, you know, what, what was, you know, um, now it's Kaliningrad. That was in East Prussia, that was in the Polish Corridor, that were in, you know, in Germany, and who lived there for a thousand years with churches and governments and all sorts of societies. These these people were ethnically cleansed and murdered, just like the Palestinians have. So we have to understand that what's going on in Palestine is nothing new. And just as the Jews have ethnically cleansed European countries now with massive immigration, meant to destroy the European Christians who Jews have been opposed to for years, just like Solzhenitsyn wrote in his book 200 Years Together. It could have been called 200 Years Apart. Uh, the, this, this, the Jews have been in wars against the Eastern Europeans and the Russians for centuries. That's why we've got this war with Russia going on now. It's not because Russia is communist. It's because Russia is anti-communist. And when, when, when Russia was controlled by Jews, the New York Times loved Russia. When they killed millions of Ukrainians in the whole Demore, which you don't hear about in the Jewish media, they loved Russia. And the New York Times so covered up those, uh, those mass murders of Ukrainians and others and Eastern Europeans and Germans and everything during the war. Massive war crimes. There was never any Nuremberg trials for that. So when they talk about war being justified like these Jews say, and I've got quotations from Jewish authorities. Here's an Israeli minister, security minister. Galad Erdogan appeared to uh, liken Palestinians killed in, in 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 the protest to Nazi casualties in the World War II, and it even said that you know we killed a lot of Nazi babies, you know. Well, the Palestinians are just the same. How? Why shouldn't we kill you know Palestinian babies the same way we killed Nazi babies? Well, we shouldn't have been killing babies in any war, and anybody who believes that we should. Is not really, he's not so much of a human being, but he's really a terrorist animal that has a different view of humanity than I do. And that uh, the former pastor, but I think still a pastor of, he's still a preacher of uh, Christianity uh, in his life, uh, Pastor Dankoff is, who loves humanity and loves people and loves the teachings of humility. Christ was light, right, blessed are the peacemakers. I had an audio I was going to play, we're not going to have time to play it. Of uh, Chris Hedges, who is a lot of things I don't agree with about Chris Hedges, but he had a great speech saying that war is is the greatest of all evils, and he's so right. And he also courageously pointed out that all these wars, the major wars we've had of the 20th century and to the present time, have been evil wars that have killed far more people than anything we've ever alleged the people we went to war against. That's the fact. And more innocent people were slaughtered by the wars than the things we're supposed to fight against. And the people who did these wars, and this is the fact. In fact, he named so many of them in terms of Newland and the, the war in Ukraine, what's going on in Israel, what went on in Afghanistan, what's going on in all these other countries, even from the Vietnam War, the Korean War. Uh, all this is understandable when you start studying it and you realize that when Jews were losing control of the Soviet Union and the Russians were taking back their country from the communists, that's when Russia became an enemy. And that's why Russia is still their enemy. And the real people that overthrew the American government were not Trump and the Russian uh, creators. It was the, the real 
Russian the the interferers of our elections weren't Russians. It was the Jews who were 18 of the 20 biggest billionaire contributors of Clinton, who were the biggest single contributor for uh, for 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 uh, Trump. They were absolutely they're eight of the nine biggest single billionaire contributors of Biden. Then they, by the way, they weren't they weren't uh, military industrial complex weapons manufacturers. They were all Jewish financiers for the most part and Jewish media heads. Like Spielberg and so and so many others, and the George Soros's of the world, and the Haim Sabins of the world, uh, those are eighteen or twenty of the biggest contributors to Clinton. Same thing was true of the midterm elections, and it's not just the Israeli lobby, folks, and that's not the Israeli lobby; it's the Jewish lobby. Let's be honest about it. I'm not saying that all Jews are Zionists, but there's no question that the most powerful, richest organizations that Jews have on the world are Zionist organizations. And they are Jewish supremacist organizations. That's the danger to the world. That's what, what Mr. Dankoff is fighting against. The Honorable Mr. Dankoff is fighting against. And that's what I'm fighting against. Go to DavidDuke.com. Go to my web show, my media show, every day at 10 o'clock on the Rinse Radio Network every morning at 10 a.m. I'll have Pastor Dankoff on just in a few short days. Okay? See you later. Dr. Duke, uh, we'll look forward to getting you scheduled for round two of this. And thank you for coming on on Robert E. Lee's birthday. Uh, I will it. have a, uh, a V-Contacta show description up here in minutes, and we'll be adding to that with all kinds of book reviews and articles through the weekend for our listeners. Uh, and in the meantime, uh, it's good to be back on uh, RBN Live, and I'll look forward to being with you one week from today. God bless all of you in these turbulent times in which we live. Take care. Thank you. Take care. Thank you, David. Go to republicbroadcasting.org, smash that donate button like Russian peacekeepers smashing through the Azov neo-Nazi terrorists in the Donbass. I don't think you can explain politics without looking at Jewish power any more than you can explain physics without dealing with gravity. 9-11 was a jointly conducted covert operation that involved multiple states, the Saudis, the Israelis, and what you could call the deep state in the United with States. With remarks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, your jiggling juice, we used to say, the, uh, the dancing Israelis. Uh, so even the Republicans now are compromising and they're pushing issues that are destructive to the white race. They would always say, like, are we just going to talk about this stuff on the radio? Like, what are we going to do about it? Either we force the democracy to work by actually getting the ballot access, getting the candidates, getting in office, getting our message out there to the people, or we expose just how undemocratic it is. The Patrick and Jeremy Show, Tuesday at 9 Central and Wednesday at 1 Central. This is RBN. The Republic Broadcasting Network.